Welcome back to NFL Junkie, the official NFL podcast of USA Today Sports. I'm Chris D'Amico, the NFL editor at USA Today, and I'm joined again today by Tom Pelissero, a national NFL writer at USA Today, and fresh off the wonderful experience of being a witness to the 6-6 tie in Arizona. So let's, instead of talking about week seven... Because You're right there, Chris, to see if this week seems to really floored you. <laughs> this week has floored me. I watched some bad football this week. So we're going to kind of ignore uh, week seven. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we thought going into the uh, season that the NFC was kind of wide open, and it seems that way. So I thought today we would talk about the contenders and uh, sort of go over their weaknesses and uh, whether they can overcome them or not. And let's start at with the – I think they'll both still be considered contenders, the two teams you watched uh, on Sunday. Let's start with the Seattle Seahawks. Struggling offensively. You wrote a nice column about Russell Wilson. Uh, you still feel okay with the Seahawks? You're picked to win the Super Bowl, actually. Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Uh, I really do, and that's in part because Pete Carroll has a track record of his teams playing better over the course of the season. One of the things that they do philosophically is they play a lot of young players, particularly early in the season, and they're willing to ride it out through the lumps and through the bad parts of it and hope that with the accumulation of reps, those guys get better later on in the season. We still have not really seen Thomas Rawls out there. Pete Carroll, I know, said yesterday that he's going to play in Week 8, or they expect him to play. C.J. Procise, haven't seen a lot of him. He can be a third-down weapon for them. Nick Van Eck got out there for the first time this past week. All those guys are going to be people that want to work into the offense as the season goes along. Tyler Lockett's been banged up with a knee injury, and, of course, Russell Wilson. You know, He's not on the air. He's been a full participant on the uh, injury report the past couple of weeks, but that doesn't mean the guy's not hurting. It just means that... He's taken all the reps. If you have a high ankle sprain in one leg and an MCL sprain in the other leg, those are not injuries that just go away uh, in a week or two because you happen to be playing. And it's very apparent when you watch Russell Wilson play. And as Carol pointed out after the game when I asked him about it, just look at the numbers. Russell Wilson has only run the football 22 times for 33 yards, I think it is, this season. And he has never had under, I think it's 489 yards in a single season rushing. So it's a completely different player that you're looking at right now. He only rushed one time against Arizona, uh, and that was his own read on the first series of the game when he probably should have just handed the ball off inside to Kristen Michael. And there were other times where he was standing in there patting the football, looking just downright jittery in the pocket because you, it seemed as if he knew he could not explode, step up through his creases or come out the back end that he does so often. Uh, he can't do those things right now. And that has an effect on your entire offense because when the defense does not feel, uh, fear the running threat with the quarterback, they're probably a little bit more comfortable sitting back playing uh, too high coverage to stop you from beating them over the top. They're going to make you throw the ball underneath over and over and over again and try to matriculate it downfield. You know, you're, you're going to see more complicated coverages at times. You're going to see teams maybe a little bit more willing to blitz Russell Wilson because they know that he's not moving as well and he can't make you pay. All those things add up to them being uh, in a difficult position right now, but they're still really Really talented on defense. They showed that again the other night, even though Arizona pounded it you know, pretty good on them. Uh, they, they still only gave up six points in that game. They obviously made some plays on special teams. They're going to be fine. If Russell Wilson can be 
back to something close to himself come December and January. I still think they're as dangerous as anybody. So if they're so patient and play rookies early, why not sit Russell Wilson for a week or two and let him rest that ankle? I mean, he's obviously not the Russell Wilson that we know. No, but because Russell Wilson has a mentality that really we've only seen uh, in recent years with Brett Favre, where he he wants to go. You talk to people around there. You know, I remember back there was a erroneous report a few weeks ago that Russell Wilson, I think it was with the knee injury, was going to miss at least two to three weeks, and he was going to be out a while. And I, I checked on it and was told, you know, Maybe, but this is Russell Wilson, and it's Monday. <laughs> a lot of things can happen uh, in the coming days just because that guy rehabs like a madman, and he puts in the time in the off offseason. Uh, and he does have that mentality that even if he's not anything close to 100%, uh, he still wants to be on the field, and you like that. You like that as a team. That that shows leadership, and that sets an example for everybody else on your roster. There, there's a, a big-time mentality that a lot of people overlook that – Players are influenced. Don't play hurt. Don't put bad film. Uh, don't you know? Put yourself out there in a position to hurt yourself worse. And certainly, if they were concerned that Wilson was going to aggravate his injuries, I think the conversation would be different. But playing the pain, playing playing a less than himself, playing when he can't really run. Uh, if he's still out there slinging it around and keeping him in ball games, you know, they're that, that's pretty impressive. Uh, impressive, but I wonder whether it's hurting them in the long run. We'll leave it at Maybe, yeah. I mean, if you think you know, that I mean, by not playing, it would uh, allow him to heal up, it's possible. Um, but he's not, you know, to this point, he has not aggravated the injuries. This isn't a LaShawn McCoy situation where you're talking about a soft tissue injury, you know, the hamstring, and I, I couldn't believe the Bills let McCoy play. Now, especially you'd think after last year, it. we could get back to that. They did the same thing last year. <laughs> yeah, played out. Yeah, played out of the gate with a significant hamstring injury and hurt it again. Um, but you know, he, that guy's also their entire offense, and you saw what happened to the Bills once he was uh, not on the field. They couldn't get a whole lot going. In Wilson's case, you know, your backup is Trevon Boykin. Uh, that's also, I would think, at least somewhat of a consideration. But you know, when you've got a guy who is who is mentally geared like Russell Wilson is, I don't think you can overlook it. I mean, if you sit that guy down, it, it's not, you know, that that may have a negative impact on him uh, from a mental perspective. He wants to show that he's the toughest guy. He wants to be a leader. He wants to, you know, fulfill the uh, the robot nickname of his. And you know, he's he's going out there. He's still making some plays. He's still playing at a pretty high level, all things considered. He's just he's not Russell Wilson right now. All right, the other team, the Cardinals, uh, struggling out of the gate. They're 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. They've been a contender in the NFC for the last couple seasons. Are they a real contender this year? I think the Cardinals have the, uh, a chance to be a, a contender still, yeah. I think that, you know, offensively, they've gone through a bit of a mentality switch. Last year, I think that sort of the euphemism the teams would use about the Cardinals is they're a finesse team. In other words, they need to be playing in a dome, throwing it 50 times a game, running past people, um, you know, making a ton of chunk yardage plays in the passing game. Whereas now, and you saw it against Seattle, I mean, they were going to just – David Johnson had, what, 45 touches or something crazy in that game? The Seahawks played 95 defensive snaps, including overtime, which is unbelievable. Uh, they, they want to now be a, a physical football team. They're they're probably not going to be out there, you know, winning shootouts uh, left and right. But they potentially can win different sorts of games. And I, I talked to Clayus Campbell down in the uh, Cardinals locker room before I headed back home yesterday, and he was saying that same sort of thing. That just they have gone through a bit of a shift here. And if they can get to January, which is not going to be easy, because you look at it, and right now there are I'm counting them up real fast here. 
eight teams that are above 500 and other couple teams that are at 500. I mean, everybody's sort of lumped together there. You know, this is, you know, maybe you don't need to win 11 games to get in the playoffs, but there's going to be a bunch of teams sitting there with 9, 10 wins potentially by the time this is over. If the Cardinals can find their way into the playoffs, I, I think that they have the opportunity uh, to be a dangerous team. They're probably going to have to go on the road because I think the Seahawks uh, win that division. But They've got talent on defense. There's no doubt about it. Bunch of brutes up there in the front seven. Then you get guys like Tyron Matthew and Patrick Peterson on the back end. Offensively, Johnson's the the bell cow now. They've had some some injuries at receiver with John Brown being out with the hamstring. Floyd was nicked up the other night. Jerron Brown now has a torn ACL. They can still make enough plays in the passing game, but I think that's going to be a complement to their running game going forward, which is a a very different thing, especially when your coach is Bruce Arians, who's always run a a chuck-it kind of offense. This is an important stretch for them, too, for the next six on the road, including visits, back-to-back visits to Minnesota and Atlanta. So, Oh, and don't overlook, too, next week they go, or this coming week, they go to Carolina, to Carolina before the right. bye. And with the Panthers, I mean, that's a, one of those teams is going to walk out of that building feeling like they really got some problems. Uh, I think the Cardinals are they're feeling good about how they play the past three weeks. The Panthers had a bye week now to prepare uh, for this game. That They've had just all sorts of sorts of issues you know you take you take a bunch of the top defensive backs off that team and it's amazing the uh, the effect that that has because their pass rush Shock, hasn't been shocking. all that great yeah i mean their pass rush was never that great but they could cover so well that they got a lot of coverage sacks now all of a sudden you got guys open left and right uh, your your rushes aren't getting home that potentially can force you to blitz more and then you know not having jonathan stewart out of the gate that impacts how your offense operates their receivers just have not played very well i mean they They've got issues, but we'll see how deep uh, Cam Newton can dig. Home game rematch of the NFC title game where they absolutely blew the Cardinals out of the building. Uh, We'll see if they can muster a little bit of 2015 magic on Sunday. I mean, the ironic thing with the Panthers, too, is, I mean, didn't they thought they could get rid of the Josh Normans and some of the defensive backs because the pass rush would cover them. Correct. Yeah, and, it, and it, yes, no. Well, <laughs> it's a complicated, you, it's a complicated answer. I don't think it was because they thought the passer could cover them. I think it was because they thought that they wanted to build from the inside out. They wanted to make sure that they could pay Kawan Short and guys like that. And carrying Josh Norman at a time where they didn't think they were going to be able to resign him for the long term uh, with a huge franchise tag number, they were concerned about that. Um, it's, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think, though, there were a lot of us who first guessed what in the world they were doing with Josh Norman because, you know, for all the talk last year, and I remember different people taking shots at Norman. He's a system corner and all these things. That guy, I'm telling you, when I was filling out my all-pro ballot and I was calling scouts and coaches in the league, everybody had Josh Norman uh, as a first-team all-pro. Everybody thought he was playing at a really, really high level. And you, you take that away, just like if you took – you know, Richard Sherman away from the Seahawks. It's a different scheme, a uh, different sort of player. I think that Josh Norman is probably more physically talented than Richard Sherman. Sherman, from a mental side, makes up for a lot of it. He's as smart as any defensive player in the league. Uh, but Norman, you can you can move him around. You can put him in a shadow. You can have him follow the top receiver around the field. You're probably not going to do that with Sherman. Uh, so the Panthers not only have less talent in their front, uh, but they have less flexibility too. All right, let's jump over to the Vikings. They fell from the unbeaten ranks. Uh, and let me let me pose it to you this way with with Minnesota. We know that the injuries along the offensive line, two tackles out, that is right now their Achilles heel. But let me put it there, and that will get better. We we assume as they play together and practice. The line. 
Yes. I don't know. Oh, you don't. Oh. I, I mean, yeah, you know, you you'd think, you'd hope if you're the Vikings, they're going to get better, but I, I don't know how much better they're going to get. I, I think they're going to have to get a little bit creative with what they're trying to do up front. So if not, that would leave it to Sam Bradford to carry the team, say. And some of the knocks the Sam Bradford critics are that he can't, that he's a good quarterback, but he can't carry a team. You agree with? Well, that? they they have to be they have to be good enough in front of him. I think Bradford has done a remarkable job going back to his first start in week two of playing above the level of his line. And don't overlook that. I remember the the story I wrote off the his first appearance was about Alex Boone talking about they had hit him so much they thought Bradford was dead. Right, right. But he got pounded in that game. He's gotten pounded every week. Uh, I think with the Eagles, the difference was they turned a couple of those into turnovers. And the Vikings tried to roll out Jake Long for a dozen or so snaps. He gave up two strip sacks, and that was about it there. I mean, yeah, you'd think a guy who hasn't started a game in two years is probably going to have a little bit of rust to knock off. And Jake Long, frankly, just he doesn't. And I said this before uh, before he even saw the field again, talking to people in the league. He, he just doesn't move the way that he used to. So, you know, that may not be your answer. If you move forward with T.J. Clemmings, you're trying to figure out how are we going to be able to, to give that guy some help. Jeremiah Searles has done a fine job, I think, on the right side for him. They can get by there, but their interior hasn't been great. They're just they're not running the football. That, that's the biggest thing. When you talk about the hits on Bradford, and that's a concern every time Bradford gets hit because you, you know his injury history. But even more than that, any quarterback in the league is going to be challenged if you are off schedule and if you're ending up in third and medium, third and long all the time. Uh, that's the spot the Vikings have been in, and that's also going to test your protection unit. So, so with the questions along the line, but the Vikings remain still contenders in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's not as if we were, or at least I wasn't, ignorant to the you know to the realities of their situation. The line is their weakness. That's their number one thing, but they've still got a hell of a defense. I mean, you look back to, you know, I hate to keep making the comparisons to the Broncos last year because that was such a unique situation, but you know, if you remember back, they, they were winning just on defense. They had they lost three starters or three significant offensive linemen uh, to injuries in training camp last year. They were shuffling stuff around. They got poor quarterback play, worse than what the Vikings have gotten from Bradford. Um Sunday's game against Philadelphia notwithstanding, uh, and their run game was up and down. So the formula is there. They, they need to be cleaner than they were in that game the other day. They also had a, a couple of special teams miscues. I mean, don't overlook that part of it. When you have Marcus Sherrill's fumble punt and you give up a kickoff return touchdown, that changes the dynamic of the game because all of a sudden late in the game, rather than being down one score, you're down two scores. Now you don't even have the option really to run. you got to try to drop back, throw it, gain big yardage. And when the opposing defense knows that, especially when the Eagles – were a bad matchup for the Vikings in general because they run the wide nine, which changes how you're able to give your tackles help. Uh, and they're also really talented up front, starting with Fletcher Cox. So all that, I thought it was a bad matchup for the Vikings from go. I just thought their defense uh, might be able to hold them, to hold the Eagles to a few enough points. And really, the, the defense did. played yeah. great for the Vikings, too. They did. Yeah. You know, They turned over Carson Wentz, and they shut him down. But you give up you know, basically 7 to 10 points on special teams, that's going to kill you. Yep. Uh, okay, and as much as this pains me to say, the Cowboys are rising steadily in everyone's opinion. Uh, they had a bye week this week, but they came off that big win in Green Bay. At 5-1, and one, it's hard to find much fault with them right now. I mean, I still think in the, in the big picture, they don't rush the passer uh, particularly effectively. I think that that's something that, you know, as we move forward here, is probably going to show up. You know, like, like anything, every, every team's got weaknesses. Right, There's not a lot right. of teams that 
that are perfect. I think Dallas has run the football so effectively. That has helped out Dak Prescott throw the football as effectively as he has, and that in turn covers up a lot of the things uh, defensively that they don't do all that great. I mean, they're, Dallas is 29th in the league on third in third down efficiency. That's that's not a real good stat there. They're 24th in sacks per pass play. Uh, you, you can go on and on like this. They're you know they're 23rd in yards per play allowed, but they control the clock. The opponent opposing offense isn't on the field much because of the style of offense they play. If they get into situations where they might actually have to play from behind, then I wonder. Because then, okay, now you can, it, that turns to lose some things in terms of the rush that you can put on Dak Prescott. Maybe they do get away from the run game. The thing that they did really well, though, if you go back to 2014 when they had DeMarco Murray rolling really well, you look early on in that season, there were a bunch of situations where they were down in the first half, down at halftime, down a couple of scores, and they kept running. They ended up like 50-50 in those games. And I think that somewhere in the back of Scott Linehan's mind and Jason Garrett's mind, they, they had to be thinking about that, that, okay, when we do, if we do get in these situations, and every team will, down a couple of scores, let's just keep being who we are. Let's, let's be um, very adherent to our identity. They, they did not do that a year ago, but there were also reasons for that because they were such a mess uh, at the quarterback position. I don't think they really had an identity. We won't know until it plays out, but I think no matter, I guess it's my belief, no matter how the quarterback situation there plays out, that will not be a distraction to them. No, it can be a distraction. I, th- I think it can be a distraction if they don't handle it the right way. And depending on what happens, I mean, if, if <clears throat> put it this way, if the guy who's in the lineup is playing poorly, it's a distraction immediately because then all you hear about is are we going to put in the other guy and players start to wonder so jason garrett what he's really got to do is get in front of him and say this is our plan we're going to do this it's not going to change and that may involve doing the uh the hard thing and saying tony you're you're a backup now um you know how much the outside influence the media and when guys are on twitter and stuff like that and seeing all these things does that have some sort of an impact i think that's a case-by-case basis i don't think Two people react to the the same sort of situation the same way. Uh, But I do think that it's incumbent upon the coaching staff there to make very clear what their vision is, whether that's coming out of the bye, whether that's several weeks down the road when they feel like Romo could play uh, and they have to make a decision on it. Whatever it is, they've got to try to minimize that distraction just by making sure that the guys in that locker room understand how they're moving forward and why they're doing so. Okay. Uh, The Green Bay Packers, I am not. Very high on the Packers. Uh, I believe you would be high, have a higher respect for the Packers' chances than I do. Uh, They'll be fine. You're a big, they, they, they you're just a big Aaron Rodgers guy. Yeah, and I and I know what the numbers are. Um, you know, and I read the the lengthy Bob McGinn piece that was uh, on our website recently from out of Milwaukee. Bob knows you know football as well as anybody knows that organization, and then there's strong stats about where Rodgers has been uh, over the past 16, 17 games now. At the same time, I, I don't really believe that he is just taking a fall off a cliff here, and he's never going to get back. I, I think that it is still there. You still see. Rodgers, when he does get out, get on the move, you know, his ability to make any throw from any arm angle, chuck it down the field on the run, 50 yards. I mean, he can do very, very rare things. But they're not 
gaining yardage at the rate that they were in the past. You look at his average per pass, it's way down uh, recently, which means that you know, you're settling for – well, for one thing, your completion percentage has dropped off. That's part of it too. But you're not you know, perhaps pushing the football down the field. And is that because Jordy Nelson is not quite the same guy coming off the knee injury? Is that because of how you're constructed at other positions? You have not had a tight end, which they thought Jared Cook was going to be able to be that guy. That so far has not worked out for them, a tight end who can stretch the seam which they had at you know at their their Super Bowl years when they had a guy like Jermichael Finley doing that that was a huge weapon for them and then they I mean they've got no running backs right now don't overlook that either when you when you literally have no one and you're playing Randall Cobb and Ty Montgomery at running back uh, that's that's not particularly advantageous either because then that that pulls those guys out of their rhythm playing receiver you don't have you know a, a battering ram like Eddie Lacy to bring the physicality to your offense um, and, and perhaps draw a little bit more attention they've just got they've got so many different things going on there right now it's, it's tough to really give an assessment also on defense the injuries at corner have hurt them I know they got another one this week Demarius Randall being out they've obviously got Sam Shields on injured reserve. Uh, those are concerns. That's my biggest concern there because I think up front, front seven, the Packers may be as talented as they've been in a number of years now. Um, but if you don't have those guys on the back end, obviously that's going to challenge you. And then there's the puzzling Atlanta Falcons. I'm not all that puzzled. Not really. You like them or you don't? I think, I think they're, a, they're a good team. I, I don't know that they're a great team. I thought, you know, coming off of those road games, I thought was very impressive at Denver and then at Seattle. I thought that, you know, I hate the term trap game, but I thought that coming home to face the Chargers might be the sort of game that would give them trouble because San Diego can throw it all over the all over the place. Whereas, you know, the Broncos with Paxton Lynch and then the Seahawks with a limited Russell Wilson uh, were not really going to play that way. Phillip Rivers, you have to talk about in the MVP conversation right now, even though the Chargers are below 500. I don't put that on Rivers. I put that on the organization for not signing Joey Bosa, who probably could have won him one or two games by having anything resembling a pass rush early. Uh, and then obviously you got the the old uh, holder on the field goal who drops the snap against Oakland, prevents you from tying up that game late. They've had stuff that's been out of Phillip Rivers' hands, but... I mean, the Chargers are scoring a lot right now. I, I think the Rivers has been uh, highly impressive. And so against an Atlanta defense that, you know, and they're starting to get a little bit more pass rush with a Vic Beasley making an impact for them. Grady Jarrett has played really well for that team too. Um, but teams that are more high octane and can push you a little bit, you know, how that defense holds up. I mean, even some of the games that the Falcons won early in the season, it's not like the Saints didn't hang some yards and hang some points on them. Uh, they're, they're going to have to outscore people at times. I think Kyle Shanahan's done a really good job. There's going to be a lot of focus on the the fourth and one play, the decision going for it in overtime, short of your own 50, and then running the football off tackle. I have no problem, really, with the decision. I'm not oh. saying it was the right or wrong decision. I have no problem with the decision to go for it there. I have a problem with Dan Quinn claiming it had nothing to do with the fact that his Falcons defense couldn't stop anybody, because that's just disingenuous. <laughs> uh, you have to be taking that into consideration. Why else would you I, go yeah, for it? <laughs> I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have faith in, in them to you know keep Phillip Rivers from dig, driving 50 yards for a winning field goal either. Uh, so I think that that's that's just a little bit silly, but you know the decision there. I I, I don't I don't have an issue with it. You know I, I like the the aggressive mentality, especially contextual aggressiveness. Put it this way: if I'm going to praise Jack Jack Del Rio for going for the two point conversion in Week One, I, I have to be fine with Dan Quinn going for it. Uh, on fourth and one too, because it's the same sort of a deal. You know your defense can't stop the our team from coming down the field. 
So why not put the ball in your offense's hands when the offense has been pretty darn good? The play call, I guarantee you this. Again, could you have called something else? Sure. But these are not – knowing Kyle Shanahan and how he prepares and how he uh, gets himself ready to call a game, this was not willy-nilly. There were a lot of percentages and a lot of different things that they had looked at. That was the the call that they liked, and maybe if the left tackle blocks somebody instead of falling flat on his face on that play, they convert it. Do we include Eagles and or Giants in this conversation? Eagles at four and two, Giants at four and three. Well, I mean, I, I still think the the NFC East in general is just wide open. You can throw Washington in Washington there too. Washington at four and three, correct? I, I just think, I mean, I, I feel like I, I say this every week, but every team in the the NFC East I think has issues. Uh, with the Cowboys, I still think it's the pass rush above all else. Um, I, I think that that's going to come back and bite them when they play certain sorts of teams. With the Eagles, you've got a young quarterback uh, who I think inevitably. I mean, we were talking about this with Dak Prescott a few weeks ago. We can you know sit there when they're three and zero and say you know the Rams screwed up. Carson Wentz is a superstar. What well, it's it's three games. Teams now have film on the guy. They're going to catch up. This is every young quarterback. And now what happens? Now you swing back. Okay, now how do we figure out the next level, what Carson Wentz can do? And you'll find out a lot about uh, the resiliency uh, of of some of these guys coming back. I think Wentz will be fine. uh, But that Eagles team, do they have enough on, on the back end of the defense? Are they... Uh, you know, will they be able to sustain what they've been doing offensively? I don't think that they're great at receiver. I know there's been talk about potentially trading for a Torrey Smith. Trading for receivers in season always concerns me just because you don't really have time to, to learn the offense and get the rhythm and timing and, and get on the same page. That can be that's a, bit, a much bigger challenge than, say, trading for a running back in season where there's only so many running, running plays that you really can run. Uh, I, I think the Eagles probably would be the strongest out of that that group of the Eagles, the Redskins, and Giants right now. With Washington, uh, they've got some of the same issues, I think, that the uh, the Eagles do. I, I certainly think that you know, when you look at how the Redskins are right now, they're much more talented than the team that won the division a year ago. But I think the division as a whole is uh, substantially better, too. They've not been great on defense. You can look at a lot of the key car- categories there, too. They've really struggled to stop the run, uh, had a couple of br- brutal showings early on this season. And then in terms of the Giants, that was my preseason pick to win the division. I still, because it's a prediction, who cares? I'm not going to back off that. I still think the Giants are going to be a team that's going to get better over the course of the season just because they had so many new players on that defense, and it can take some time uh, for those guys to gel. But offensively, they are just they look a little bit scattered well, right now. Well, that's what puzzles me about the Giants, and I agree, and I agree with you, and I had, I had also thought before the season this is going to be kind of a sleeper team that could come on at the end. But their yeah. their defense is playing pretty well, <laughs> and it's yeah, and the it's defense, the offense the defense, that is having yeah. struggles. And who saw that coming? Well, and, and that's what I'm saying is I think that the defense is going to get better and better here as we move along. You're already seeing that. I mean, they they won that game against the Rams the other day. We can talk about Case Keenum, but the, the Giants yeah. still made some plays. Yeah. Case Case Keenum hit Tavon Austin in the chin, chin. with a yeah, pass and it turned into a pick six <laughs> that broke their back in that game. Okay. Uh, yeah, the Giants offense, and I've seen them play live at least once that I that I remember off the top of my head when they played Minnesota. Uh, in that game, I thought that one thing that jumped out was just there were times Odell Beckham Jr. was open and they weren't getting him the football. Uh, a guy that talented, he can't have three catches or whatever he had that night. That just can't happen. You've got to give him more opportunities to, to make plays. I think that you know looking at them as an overall offense, they've had the same issue for a number of years now, uh, one of them being – 
the running backs are just not that great. Rashad Jennings is a fine, you know, he, he can he can start for you, but he's not a difference maker. They don't have a difference maker in that backfield. Uh, you know, we've seen like Paul Perkins make a big play, but he, they obviously don't feel as if he's ready to be out there uh, playing a ton of snaps for him at this point. So when you don't really have that threat, you do have more balance at receiver this year uh, with Victor Cruz and the Shepherd kid. Uh, you know, being able to take a little bit of the heat off of Victor, off of uh, Odell Beckham Jr. But it's still the Eli and Odell show to a large degree, uh, and they have not been able to consistently make that work for them. You know, they've got to continue to get creative. I, 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 I do think that. Uh, you know, when you look at Ben McAdoo, he's been an offensive coordinator, coordinator of very productive offense the past couple of years when he, I would argue he had less talent than he has right now. But now you have all the other duties on his plate, head coaching, responsibilities, game management, all these other things. And I'm not saying Ben is doing a worse job. I, I don't know all the ins and outs of it. I've not studied every single snap of them uh, on film over the course of the season. But I do know this. I remember talking with uh, Mike McCarthy about this. A year or two ago, remember when he gave up uh, play calling duties, and that was something he had thought long and hard about because with all the other things he tried to do in game management and being in on the defensive meetings, talking special teams, all these other things, it pushed back his preparation process, and he was ending up logging late nights on Fridays and Saturdays, putting together his game plan, and it just became too much for for him. Uh, I also thought at the time, and as I told Mike when I first saw him after that, I'm like, I. I get worried when guys give up the thing they do well. Uh, so I, I would not advocate for Ben McAdoo to give up offensive play calling, but he may need to figure out, okay, are so, there's some things, as I'm feeling out as a new head coach here, are there some things I can sort of slide different directions, be able to, to make sure that this offense is, is operating uh, as efficiently as it possibly can. Is there anyone in the NFC we haven't mentioned that you think is a contender? Um... I mean, we talked about the entire NFC East. We talked about the top two teams in the West. I don't really see the Bucks or the Saints or even the Panthers, even though I still think the Panthers are going to win some games here. I still think I'd be. I, what do we put the over under on? Eight. See over under eight last week. Yes. I'll I'll stick I'll stick with the over under at eight. I'll still take the uh, or eight and a half. I think we said it at. I'll still semi uncomfortably, but I'll still take the over on that one. The one team that's that's sort of intriguing. You know, they've won three in a row. We, we're not going to you know we don't really talk about them, but the Detroit Lions they can score. They can put up some points. I think you know in terms of their their talent on defense, they're not anywhere close to where they were a couple of years ago. But you know Matthew Stafford, when he gets rolling a little bit, he's still prone to make some errors. But you know, you look at the parts that they have put around him on that offense. I, I kind of like what I, I see from the Lions right now. They come up here to Minnesota in a couple of weeks, and I, I think that'll be a a really telling matchup for them uh, because uh, you know those are a couple of teams that obviously know each other well over the past couple of years. Um, and Stafford, with all those different weapons, some veterans, some experienced receivers. Going up up against uh, some young Vikings cornerbacks, I think that'll be a, that'll be an interesting game. Yeah, they have one of those uh, quirks in the schedule. I hate this. <laughs> they play Minnesota twice in three weeks. Just, I don't know who that benefits except it's usually a split. Well, we're seeing it again this coming week with the uh, the Broncos and Chargers meeting for the second right. time in three weeks after the Broncos already lost the first matchup there. Detroit, by the way, goes to Houston. This coming week, then they go to Minnesota before the bye. Right. So that's a that's a pretty big stretch. They've won consecutive. They've won three straight games, Chris, by a total of seven points. The Lions have. They're not blowing people out of the water, but they are. You know, they're they're finding ways to win some football games. Let's see. All three of those games were at home. Let's see what happens when they uh, when they hit the road the next couple. 
All right, so that would kind of wrap up the NFC. Uh, we're sure it'll all change in week eight. We're sure the quality of play will skyrocket this week. Uh, we thank Tom for his insights again. You can follow him at usatoday.com and in the newspaper at USA Today. We will catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks.